Mote. Yakana Hey. Welcome to season two. Yes, you heard us right. Tiny, they ready? I don't think they are ready yet. Yeah, we are with a new season, with new guests from across the continent, sharing the most inspiring entrepreneur journeys. We got Libya, Zimbabwe, Ghana, and so much more. Welcome to season two of a series of Amps. Mbote, my name is Binja, hailing from the heart of Africa. The Democratic Republic of Congo, and I'm so excited to have you here with me is my co-host, my baby boo. Hey, Chance. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, Akwaba Jumbo. It's your girl, Tiny, hailing from the beautiful Lone Star Republic of Liberia, located on the coastline of West Africa. It's West Africa in the building. So we want to welcome you all to a series of AMS, a show about entrepreneurial women in Africa. On this podcast, we celebrate tastemakers in business who are continually innovating, empowering those around them and slaying in style. Why? Because we are all more than one thing. We demystify what it takes to start, grow, and run successful businesses and organizations across the continent. We talk to boss women of all backgrounds from CEOs, business owners, policy makers, uh, analysts, takes makers, influencers, the whole nine yard. Okay, we're talking about African girl magic queens in this piece right here. So today's guest is Wangiwe Kambuzi. Wangiwe is the founder and managing director of Mzuzu Ehab. Mzuzu Ehab is an entrepreneurship technology and innovation hub based in Malawi, uh, in Lilongwe, Malawi to be specific. Now, y'all know that on this podcast, we bring you stories about some of the hardest working women on the continent and Wangiwe is honestly one of them. She was recognized as one of 2019's Meaningful Business 100 for successfully combining profit and purpose to help achieve the UN SDGs. She won SASA or Global Startup Awards in 2019 for Female Role Model of the Year in Malawi. In 2018, she was Community Builder Awardee under the Social Impact Incubator in Malawi. And she supported the 2019 Youth Decide Malawi campaign as a youth manifesto champion and was one of Malawi's youth delegates at the 2019 Model Africa Union and the World Youth Forum. Now, listen, this is just from LinkedIn. <laughs> Guys, we have almost an hour and a half with her on this. Are you ready? Be ready. Wangiwe blends her communication business and organizational development talent and has risen in the ranks to be one of Malawi's most influential businesswomen in the startup ecosystem. Please join me in welcoming Wangiwe. Oh wait, 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 Beja. Let me, let, let me chime in real quick. Let me try and prove to you people that I'm a real Pan-Africanist, okay? Oh my let God. Let me redeem Go myself. Ahead. Let me Go redeem ahead. myself, okay? Ladies and gentlemen, we got Malawi in the MF building, Southeastern Africa in this piece. Y'all gonna learn to put respect even on the small country's names, Malawi, okay? Period. Period. Go ahead, bitch. So, Wangiwe, welcome, 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 welcome to our podcast. So, Wangiwe, let's start at the very top. Whom's are you? You know, I've given your high-level bio the one, you know, when we go to conference, yeah. eh, they must know. <laughs> now, 
You give us in your own words. Who is Wangiwe? So um, I just like how you actually talked about it because oh my god, I don't even talk about myself like that. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, we are professional high women. <laughs> oh yeah, I you. see that. <laughs> okay, um, who is Wangiwe? Um, mm-hmm. basically, I'm a mom first. I am right. And I'm also a wife to Daniel, mm-hmm. and I am a happy soul. You barely see me angry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's also mm-hmm. something you actually see first. Um, mm-hmm. And and I love living my best life, and well. also I love serving. This is why I decided to actually establish this organization, Zuzu Ehab where I am a social enterprise, basically, that supports um, startup and emerging enterprises by linking them to a network of them to be able to grow and become successful. And um, basically, I'm a Malawian. <laughs> I'm based in Zuzu, of course, Lilongwe. I know you gave a shout out to them. Oh. based in Zuzu, which is like in the northern part of Malawi. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Really love Malawi. It's, it's beautiful, especially even Zuzu. Mm-hmm. And today, I really look forward to you know sharing my journey, my story, and also probably learning from you both. And yeah, it's very exciting to be here. So I really look forward to sharing my story. Awesome, awesome, awesome! Oh, fishes, are you ready? Because... I stay ready, so I never had to get ready. Okay. Period. <laughs> She said, she said she's always happy. These are the type of people we like to be around. People who just like jolly, jolly. And that's how when Techno said, allow me to enjoy myself. He said, only good vibes. (laughs) Make myself, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you, Wangiwe. So Wangiwe, let's talk about what you were like at about like five years old. If we went back in time, what did five-year-old you want to become when you grew up? Five-year-old me actually wanted to become a teacher mm-hmm. or a journalist. It was either of these two. And I used to be a really funny kid, guys, honestly. I, I remember my mom used to laugh at the fact that I would, I would mobilize children within our neighborhood to come to our house. Mm-hmm. And then I had a board that I would start putting words in English and start teaching the children as, as to how they needed to understand how to speak English. <laughs> and my mom would always be like, why are you teaching your friends every single time? And this is like, well, I don't know. I feel like they don't speak better English than me, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then eventually, I used to write so much because every single time, I would pick up a notebook and just want to write something, whether it's how my day went and mm-hmm. uh, what I want to do in the future. And you know how everyone in the house would just be like, oh, God, this girl is going to end up being a reporter in the house. Uh-huh. And I was just between 5 to 10 at that time. Wow. And then overall, maybe let me speak about the eight-year-old me. Uh-huh. Um, probably that's something that can easily connect back to where I am now because okay. um, pretty much out of privilege. Uh, when I was eight, my dad said, you know, 
there's a this place where I want to send you and your brother, so you can go and learn how to use mm-hmm. a computer. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, we got really excited. We enrolled into that course and started learning how to use a computer at eight. Wow, which is not very typical for a Malawian eight-year-old child. It's not typical for African <laughs> children, girl. Y'all were way ahead of life. What? What year was this, by the way? Um, so that was 1998. Mm-hmm. Girl, yes. my behind was in Nairobi in 98. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we, I don't even know if we have computers there. You go ahead in Malawi. Guys, wow. So was it like an academy? No, so it, it was actually a, a called St. Patrick's Seminary School. So they had a secondary school uh-huh. where like the boys uh, would go and attend. It was only a boys' school. But uh, mm-hmm. I think one of their revenue streams was then running this computer lab that then would bring in friends and young people to come and learn how to use a computer. Mm. So, yeah, I managed to learn how to use a computer at that time, which pretty much wow. gave me an interest in also understanding mm. how I could actually use that skill further. So, yeah, typical of me. It was either journalist or teacher, but more interesting, I managed to also learn how to use a computer at a really young age. Yeah, that, that is actually very, very peculiar. I don't think we've ever encountered anyone. I mean, we talked to um, somebody who works at Microsoft now, but I know even her interaction was not that early with computers. So this is pretty incredible. Um, I, Patience, I was waiting for you. I thought no, you were going to say this, but Patience, for you, you are the same child. Because y'all were out here trying to go teach people's children how to speak. I said, yes. I never met no more shadier babies than this teaching one. She said, no, please, come here. You people don't know how For to speak English. Like, let me let me just say, you and I were right here. We understand the assignment. The assignment was understood at a very young age that we, ourselves, we are just teachers. We, we know plenty than our six years old counterparts. So why don't you bring yourself and let me teach you the small things I know to... And to take it a step further, like I used to make them like make fake money to like pay me. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> How are you gonna teach them and then hustle them? And you're the one who brought them there. Patience. We have to understand and learn early. That's what I said. Cash through everything around me. Okay, so I know I know I'm sitting in the refugee camp right now, but I need you to understand how, how this partnership works. Oh my goodness! I can't. No, but I, think, I, can't I, I love that story because it resonated with me. You know, like so much. And all jokes aside, like I definitely was that little girl who you know can can see myself in you where I didn't have I didn't have much growing up and so whatever little things I knew however way I could give back and help I was always willing to do so and because I went to a private school um, a lot of my you know my peers did not get the opportunity to do so so every time I come back on the refugee camp like I would gather people in the evening little kids like near you know, near our home and I'll start teaching everybody and then I'll feed everybody at the same time with my last fraction that I have. <laughs> um, so I think, and I think that sets the tone, right? You know, it's not a surprise the field that you find yourself in, you know, now in your adult years, because it truly yeah. build the foundation yeah. in you and just who you are as an individual. That's something that you never lose, you know, I think for the most part. Um, and it's something that's born, born yeah. in you and ingrained in you. So with that being said, right? Like Ben just surprised with the computer. I'm shocked, because I was just like, 
I did not get to use computer and maybe till like I was in like junior high or something like that. Like I can't remember. It was and that was even in America. Like so um that says a lot how far Malawi is. And I love stories like that, little like little um antidotes like this that the world can, you know, can hear because many times Benjamin and I always say this, people um like describe a thing of Africa with like one bro- you know broad stroke and they don't understand just how you, mm-hmm. our continent is and just also how advanced our continent is so yeah. for Malawi a small landlocked country to have already been exposing their ch- you know their students to like um computer that says a lot even western countries at that time we weren't even doing that so that I think that says a lot too about yeah. the country so was it a private school that you went to or was it public school and that um that was exposing you guys to computer <laughs> I actually went to a private school, um, and this was actually not the school I went to. Um, it was just one of the schools in the district that I used to live at the time. Okay. Um, it's called Rumpi. Mm-hmm. It's a very small district also in the north, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and we lived there for about 12 years uh-huh. before we okay. relocated to another district, uh-huh. Uh-huh. which was called Nzimba. And then uh, I did most of my secondary school in Zuzu, where I am right now. Um, but at that time, I used to commute from the other district to here, mm-hmm. um, where we stayed for about two years. Then we moved now to Zuzu as a family mm-hmm. with my parents. Uh, and we've lived here for a while. It's only me who moved out for a certain time mm-hmm. um, when I went to school. Atlanta, and then I also started working there, um, where I worked for about 11 years before I actually came back here. Okay. Let's save that spot because we're going to come there. Chess, we're going to get to the point where we, we, we talk money <laughs> and we talk how, how you enter the career field. Okay. Um, so take a step a little bit uh, back a little bit. Benja likes to ask this question because we're nosy as hell. Okay. Like, you can't be this perfect child that was so sweet and so nice and nurturing or out here <laughs> instilling knowledge in your peers at a young age. <laughs> so, no. so what type of trouble did you used to get into as a, as a kid? Like, you know, what, what, what type of trouble? And the second part to that question is, um, who did your family think or your friends thought like, you know, you would grow grow up to be like you know like is this mm. are they not surprised with the field that you picked or they're like surprised like uh we did not expect you to be in this in this sort of arena <laughs> actually i think actually um maybe most people are not really surprised with how i turned out to be per se but i think when i was i was i was not really a troublemaker mm. um i love peace i still love peace until today I think the only thing that I used to get in trouble with was uh, maybe coming home late yeah. because I would want to be with my friends to after five. Yeah. And yeah, that's like <laughs> the only issue that I have with my parents. But besides that, I think overall a good kid. Um, okay. Yeah. I used to love church. I used to sing in the choir. Yeah, yeah we grew up in, in that home that <laughs> Jesus people. You know, you just you see that I'm like, yeah. hey, hey. So, hey, that's true. Is that what is that how children used to be? Like praise I can praise him. <laughs> no. I don't sing anymore. <laughs> I don't sing anymore. Unfortunately, oh, okay. <laughs> 
No, no, no. And so I think the second part to patient's question was, what did people around you say Wangiwe was going to become? Honestly, I, I, I used to be a very clever child also mm-hmm. and very brilliant school, especially primary school. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the old times when everybody just used to think if you're really brilliant, you're going to become a doctor. Yeah. You're going to become probably, you know, and also because my, my dad and my mom, they all worked in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was a pharmacist and my mom, my mom is a psychiatric nurse. Uh, most people thought would we'll take a hospital-based career, more like a uh, doctor or a pharmacist or a mm-hmm, nurse, mm-hmm. Uh, because parents had careers in that field. Yeah. But I think for me, more or less, uh, having lived their journey, I felt like it wasn't really my space or something that fully inspired me. So when you finish your first degree. Did you now go into work or did you go to look for another degree? Like how, how did it, how did that happen for you? I proceeded to enroll for a postgraduate diploma in public relations and personal administration. So only after that is when I got a job, like my first job, I was a call center official mm. at the Networks Malawi. It's a mobile uh, communication company and I was 18. At the time I started working, which is also a very young wow. for most people to start working. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something that was really tremendous was the fact that um, the skills that I had gained um, at eight mm-hmm. now came to good use because I was working in a job that really required me to have really good um digital uh, skills in terms of using Microsoft Word, Excel, um, systems that we're using um, in the call center. Mm -hmm. And pretty much uh, because of all the the hard work and also interest in learning, I emerged a staff performer Mm -hmm. in the department for about two years in a row. Mm -hmm. And um, I was in that job for four years. Mm -hmm. And... That was like in, in, in what, 20, should be 2012. I really felt exhausted at that stage. So this time around, it's not failure. <laughs> <laughs> she, said, she said, I'm tired. I am tired. <laughs> I, I just, Hold I, on. Be- before we continue, um, how much were you making at this job? Because what we're going to try and do as we continue on your journey is it's kind of talk about the dollars and the cents right (laughs) tell me about how much you were actually making because in all honesty right if we're all women and we're all being honest here how many times do you actually share how much you made in a job Mm. but then you hear what somebody else is making and you're surprised you're like ah only or you're like ah all of that you know and and at the end of the day it's like we don't talk about it enough for us to be able to say okay this is what you make cool now let me take that as a tool and convert it in my negotiation so i know if i need to go higher or if i need to stay humble and grateful you know um but what we try to do on the podcast is to really be open about it you know so if (laughs) go higher we're really trying we're really trying to encourage all our guests to be open about it like if you're not comfortable giving one number that's fine but i really want to share like if it's a range or something like that but just to give people an idea, right? Because think about it. You started at 18, you were done at about 22. Like, did you get a raise as you went? Or was it just kind of like, 
no thank you for coming it's the same amount every year because even me i would be tired at that point i'd be like listen you took four years of my life and you're looking at me right in the face with no no way yeah, i'm on six <laughs> so give us no. give us a little bit i'm on six i want to raise already i've been here for six months <laughs> Yeah, okay. So um it's it's always very interesting. So like mm. when I just joined um the company in the first year, mm. my salary was actually 45,000 Malawi kwacha, mm-hmm. which maybe today we can say it's 30 dollars. Wow, okay. If it was today. Mhm. And <laughs> and I think um, it it could raise in the course of it. I think to maybe one hundred thousand when I was leaving, which is maybe around eighty dollars now, with the rates that we are using. But yeah, I think beyond the salary for me, I felt like I was doing the same thing. It was not very challenging for me, mm. and I learned some skills uh, from the job. Um, especially customer service because it was more customer service than people uh, relations but I felt like I needed more and I think because of that push that I had to say you know you need you you, you are capable of doing more and I think this is not it <laughs> yeah it. yeah that's really what made me feel like I think no I'm tired and I can't do this I can't really do this and I just wanted a whole new experience. So I changed jobs. I resigned um, <laughs> like, in 2012. Yes. <laughs> wait, wait. So so how how was that process, right? Because at this point, you're like 22. Mm-hmm. You're realizing this isn't fulfilling. Um, so you start the job hunt, right? Um, what kind of conversation did you have leaving? Because I'm always fascinated because... You know, I am a firm believer in like you don't burn bridges because you just never know where you you'll find the person. You know, this I I believe life is a circle. Today I leave you at this point. Tomorrow I'm gonna come find you right back at a different point. But we're all still on this journey, you know. So, um, how did you part? You know, from this first job, and as you went to your subsequent ones, like, does it get easier to leave the job? Like, how was that for you? So I think it was not very difficult because I actually moved next door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the company I was working was in the same building with the bank called First Merchant Bank. She said not awkward at all. I'm going to see all my old co-workers like, <laughs> yes, I make more money than you now. <laughs> oh, actually, you would be shocked. I, it wasn't even about the money. Uh-huh. Because even in this job that I went to, it's not like I was getting any new big money no i just needed a different environment so whilst working the bank i started learning new skills as well because i think i was in a very flexible place of work but now i was more mature workplace you know banks you always well dressed yeah you have to behave in a certain way and that's not something that i yeah gotten uh, from my previous job so uh, yeah, I worked in the bank and in the first bank because this was the first bank uh, for about two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was between 2020, 2012 to twenty fourteen. Um, I think in the end. Then in twenty fifteen, early twenty fifteen, 
I moved again, but this time around, my moving was at least coming from a more positive perspective. Okay. Where I did not apply for this job. <laughs> so I had a client who used to come to the bank um, and I served them a lot. So they used to work in a different bank. So apparently they were recruiting in their bank and he was like, no, there's this girl that works in this bank that I feel like uh, needs to come work here. So I was literally from this bank to a different bank. And also my being pushed was for a better position and also at least an improved paycheck, <laughs> which was better. Come on now. <laughs> than the previous job. So how much, how, by how much was it better? Um, I'll say about 60%, like- Okay. Well, Listen, I'm gonna take it. A good thing, yeah. So I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. So then that's the time that I I, I moved here back here from Blanda, mm -hmm. Zuzu again. Mm -hmm. Um, because the job that I I got, they wanted me to work either here or uh, Lilongwe or Zomba, which was which is also another city anyway. So yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think now it was more of a, I'm, I'm in a new place of work. I felt more, uh, you know, challenged uh, for about a year. Then something happened because this bank had bought a, new, had bought a bank that was owned by the government. It's called, um, the, it was called the Malawi Savings Bank. So the bank I was working for is FTH and they had bought that bank. So when they were in the process of uh, doing all the change uh, procedures, they had to lay off some of the staff. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. I was not one of them, luckily. Oh, thank <laughs> God. I, I, I was like, oh, my God, we just got 60% pay bump. How are we now losing this gig? But I think it, it gave me a new perspective to life. Because mm. You can also lose your job anytime. Yeah. So something that I think most people also don't plan most of the times is to make sure they have um, a, a better strategy of what would happen if I was retrenched out of a company that I had a good job and this is what you need to right, do. Right, right. I came up with a strategy, but my strategy was more like an exit strategy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. It was not a strategy to remain there because I think one of the things that I really enjoyed in my role was I used to interact with a lot of people and uh, I was able, I was, I was working in client uh, uh, relations and also uh, operations at that time. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would sometimes bring in several interventions like let's go to schools, engage students and get them to understand financial literacy and why they need to open an account at that stage, or maybe community uh, people that maybe are not really exposed to why they need to own an account or save money, etc. Yeah. So it was really, I loved it. And um, yeah. I think beyond everything, I just felt like it gave me partially a sense of purpose in a different way. Mm. Um, but then again, I felt like one more time, there were still missing pieces of, sometimes you have this great idea 
but these people don't adopt such things because well they don't get it like why would you bring something yeah so with um with me being more of a creative innovative person i wanted um a space that would allow me to be able to like implement some of the things that would basically bring different type of results and not the usual thing mm. so yeah i then came up with a six month strategy so i was only in the in this bank for a year then i resigned again uh-huh for, professional resigner this is now the third time no mind that again no <laughs> No, because you know, you know what I do appreciate about your story um, is the fact that, like, when you sit back and you think about it, how many people do you know know that they could be doing a better job, know that they could have their ideas valued in a better way, know that they could explore their creativity in a new way, but for fear of losing that security that they call money, they stay right? And then they hate their job daily. All they talk about is how much they hate their job. And it's like, my guy, you can, you can, like you did. And I, and I also love that the fact that you, like, you didn't just exit. You said, here is my exit strategy. This is what I need to have before I move. So obviously the plan is there, you know, the plan is in place. You have something you're working towards and you also see the things that are not working that you're looking for, for either your next gig or for, you know, your next job. Right. So I think, all the things that we go through, sometimes when we're going through them, like we really don't appreciate them for what it is they are until you kind of move or life forces you to move into something else. So I, I just love the fact that like, not only were you refusing to settle, but you were also moving with a plan, right? Which is something that a lot of people, you know, you either stay complacent or you move with no plan. But I really do like the perspective that you have that you've just shared. Yeah, for sure. I actually have a favorite quote. Um, Go ahead, girl. It kind of sums up my whole experience in, in, in everything that I did. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, a quote by Thomas Edson. Mm -hmm. And it's saying, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't, won't work. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So um, the reason I like this quote is because mm. at the stage that I was when I was leaving my third job, mm. I realized I had learned to make my own choices towards how I wanted my professional pathway to look like. And when I made the decision that I'm leaving, mm. everybody did not understand why oh wow you finally get a good job oh, why are you leaving you know and for me it was like right i don't know what i'm gonna look forward to but i have this plan in my diary yeah that is written i'm going to take one year break mm. of me trying to fully understand what i really want to do with my life and i remember even lying to some of my friends that i had gotten another <laughs> job <laughs> she, she said what you're not gonna know is i'm about to be around for a year doing not not one damn thing while y'all are out here working but my business is my business did one you want to start this podcast by saying you mind the business that pays you my guy he said please focus on your focus i mean your experiences just tells a story about who you are right and sort of the point of a series of ends where 
We believe that women are multifaceted, multidimensional. We wear, we wear many different hats. That definitely helps sometimes those different hats that we wear. Um, at times, we're not sure where those hats are taking us, like what we're doing with it, but eventually molds us into um, our passion area and our in, in the areas that we're more committed, you know, to. And it sparks that passion, it sparks that interest. And it seems like, like what Ben just said earlier on, while you are doing all these different sort of positions, whether, whether you stay the sh- on a sh- more short-term basis, at least you knew what you didn't like or what you weren't um, connected to the most. You know what I'm saying? Like it made you um, recognize the need for you to explore more your innovative side. Like you mentioned, your innovative side, mm. your creativity. That's where your passion lies. That's where you saw yourself. Like if I can, if I can be in a space that allows me to have the autonomy to be creative and innovative, I shine more. Yeah. You know that you know mm. in that sort of lane than me working a nine to five that is just structure and building someone else's dreams and someone else's goals like why not just invest in my mm. own dreams in my own goals and i also think like you bringing the ideas of um exposing you know malawian youth at that time to, to the various innovative opportunities you had you know with your employer i think that also continued to pique your interest because you saw that there was a lane there's a lane here you know, for me to explore mm-hmm. more innovative ways of doing things that I'm passionate about and not necessarily going about someone else's blueprint or someone else's instructions, right? Um, yeah. Because I felt like you wanted you wanted something that brought you alive, something that allowed you to, dis- to, to disrupt certain spaces. And I think that's a perfect segue yeah. into, uh, and please correct me in pronouncing the word, you know, I'm getting my East African pronunciation together, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, is it Im- Imzuzu Ihab? Did yeah. I pronounce it right? Yeah. So that so that led you to founding Mzuzu, my guy. You see, I'm about to embarrass my entire West Africans on this internet right now. One day, wait, do we drop her on the side <laughs> of the road or do we continue to carry her in this conversation? Because <laughs> I. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This one we're looking at you. Side eye, as they say, bombastic side eye. I I honestly felt like I had an adequate knowledge and understanding of uh, managing a business, mm. and I I I felt countless times that even maybe worse than all the failure encounters I had previously. Mm. But regardless, uh, I realized I was not alone. And almost every day, entrepreneur fails as well. If they don't fail, yeah, they're stagnant and stuck and, and thinking, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me? Yeah. So this is like, there's, there's several things that happen um, where sometimes you find that someone lacks capital financing and they can't mm. really business from this level to that level sometimes it's an issue to do with um, having a relevant network and then there's also an issue to do with access to technology if sometimes you see things like access to internet or even just the equipment it's going to make you struggle in life uh, when you're running a business Mm -hmm. the skills they're not that you need they're all difficult um, to maneuver so basically my lovely encounter with failure is what birthed Zuzu mm. Ihab. And um, if you see 
everything that we almost do here is to reduce failure, the risk of failure, not just for me, but for people. So as EHAB, um, you, you talked about it earlier, where we're an entrepreneurship, technology and innovation hub that supports youth-led startup emerging entrepreneurs. We do that by running a business incubation program, which then provides these entrepreneurs with access to skills and knowledge that they need to manage the business. It provides them relevant networks, um, but what I did not have basically at that time. And also basically access to resources, uh, including a co-working space, investment support um, through some grants and in the near future we hope to do equity as well and uh, we'll basically provide a community as well where these people are able to learn from one another with peer-to-peer learning support and something really cool that um, we now do these days is something i'm going to take you back again to that eight year old little girl where um she got access to digital skills, but it was now out of privilege. Mm-hmm. This time around, I am able to actually support communities through Mzuzu eHub by providing digital skills trainings for children, young people, and there's also mm-hmm. sensitization mm-hmm. for elderly communities for them to be able to understand what existing digital technologies they can have access wow. to. Wow, wow, wow. So, um, mm-hmm. In, in a natural <laughs> failure for me is simply <laughs> the opportunity to begin again yeah. and I did that with eHub and I did it intelligently by making sure that in all encounters of failure where other people are experiencing the same, we work together and come up with solutions. Mm. In terms of impact, so just to make sure I mentioned those before we wrap Absolutely. Up. Um, we've supported up to 345 emerging enterprises uh, from 2019 to date, and also trained 572 young people, including children, um, in digital skills. So there's various digital skills, computer programming, basic computer um, knowledge, graphic design, etc. We've also provided sub-grants to up to 37 entrepreneurs where they're able to get uh, seed capital financing Mm. ranging from 500 US dollars to 5,000 US dollars. And also to date, we have a team of 16 vibrant young people that work and support uh the mission which is really amazing we've also developed are they full time yes they're all full time oh my god okay (laughs) we've also developed a lot of meaningful partnerships including malawi government uh through the world bank there's also single family and recently Lenovo Foundation also partnered with us just to mention a few Mm. Um, but we managed to also raise um, up to 800,000 US dollars just to support all of these interventions we are running wow 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 that's that's impressive oh my god that's so freaking impressive 
the impact in terms of like the number of people um, on the digital space, like that you've in total worked with. So it comes up to about like 800 and something. And then you're also looking at like from 500 to 5,000. I'm, I'm just trying to convert that. Like in any currency, you're actually putting like real dollars and cents in people's hands. Um, do you do you work alongside mentors? Like if I come in and I have an idea, do you have like a board that is like, okay, here are the available mentors? Like what 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 is the mechanism of, of connecting people? Yeah, so we do have a mentorship program uh, whereby if you're interested to support an entrepreneur, we would definitely connect you um, to people of interest. So sometimes people are interested in specific sectors, so we do identify uh, people from specific sectors that we can match uh, you both so you can interact and help each other. And even on our side, we are also still learning. That's why I told you I have a meeting with my mentor. So I'm a part of the Mila Center Accelerator Program, um, also with the organization, mm -hmm. where we're also um, able to get mentorship as the team that is working within the organization, because the team also needs to improve their capacity mm. to continue to serve the community better. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what has what has been like the most challenging thing for you? Because it seems to me that not because you haven't been like in existence for ten years, but you guys have been able to have such a high impact not only in terms of like what you guys have raised for in terms of fundraising on your own, but also just like the impact you've had on the community. So, like, what were the hurdles as you've gone through this? Because I know you know this thread of like failure and how you've overcome failure and how you've overcome like. What stumbling blocks did you hit with Mzuzu Ahab that, you know, you were like, oh, no, this is this is how we, we don't make it past this. But then you you were able to kind of like overcome. Um, so I think some of the challenges that I'll point out, uh, first of all, like with the office space, because I think most of our uh, work centers around providing the co-working facility, then space for people to meet up, um, then there's also the virtual programming which is on the side. But we've had a bit of a, a limited uh, working space that sometimes can't really absorb the demand. Uh, but the bigger challenge being that we really could not monetize most of the services we wanted to offer earlier, which brought a little bit of a challenge now in the context of who's going to pay for this on behalf of these people that maybe can pay for it. <laughs> so, so I think um, really understanding what sort of business model we would be able to implement was one of the bigger challenges. Mm -hmm. But we're getting there uh, because we are, we've really made an improvement even in terms of having a balance, adding various revenue streams aside of maybe the sponsorship or grants that we receive. So, um, what what other revenue streams do you do you have, if you don't mind me asking? So we do business consultancy, especially in events planning and management. Yeah. Something that I was doing in the old startup is back in the Mzuzu Ehab. Come on. Then we also have project management. Recently, we've also taken up Marty Media uh, consultancy, where we develop content. Um, including uh, graphical content, um, there's also audio visual yeah. um, for specific um, yeah. events as well. 
So yeah, I mean, it's 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 really a learning curve. Uh, we're probably not going to be perfect time soon, but at this stage, we have a better understanding of how uh, we need to operate and how we can actually yeah. grow and scale our plan. And maybe something I forgot to mention was also that mm-hmm. this year we established two resource shops um, in two districts. Okay. So that's part of our scale. And- so when you when you say a digital resource, like what what is what is involved in in the resource? Like what is there for people in those districts to use? So we we established a computer lab with uh, twenty computers. Oh, nice. And then we have staff member uh, who's a technology operation coordinator who's there to provide the digital skills trainings. Um, and where did you, if you don't, again, I'm, I'm so curious here because like I love it when I meet people who run hubs because again, like you described, your business model is revenue generating in so many different yeah. ways. Um, so were the computers like a purchase that you made out of the grants that you received or were they part of like a donation like how did that work so um they're part of a grant we received um so mm-hmm. in the past three years we've been running the digital skills for all project um it's under the malawi government but through the public private partnership so they got funding through what uh to support tech hubs mm-hmm. we're one of the beneficiaries so we got um the first grant and because we're one of the most uh well performing hubs they renewed our grant so in total we nice. are going to receive five hundred thousand us dollars and yeah, so we also raised 100,000 US dollars from Lenovo. Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of the equipment, it came through the Malawi government grant where we got 40 computers. Mm. This year we're getting 20 additional computers. So there will be 60 in total. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, hoping that we also continue raising both cash and in-kind support that can continue to support uh, Yeah the program because it's really amazing i mean it's just nice to see yeah. a child who's never seen a computer access to this type of knowledge yeah. or a young person being you know get access and i think what is really inspirational is the age range right because you're going from talking to children like how old is like the oldest either entrepreneur or student that you have so the oldest is 35 35 okay so not, not too bad not too bad um are you are you finding it easier as you go because you guys are five years in is it easiest to to kind of have these partnerships with governments or is it easiest to partner with like externals what what do you find as as this as a person managing these relationships um i think it's more important to understand uh, i think partners or partnerships or resources based on the current opportunities that you have and i think in our case Malawi is an emerging, has an emerging innovation and entrepreneurship ecosystem mm. where we have a lot of uh, development partners, government trying to drive this agenda of advancing mm. entrepreneurship among people or digital literacy among communities. So locally, we have um, a lot of incoming resources and partnerships that uh, if you position 
mm. yourself really well uh, you're able to easily access those type of things locally but at the same time we do a lot of engagement and some of our partners introduce us to other potential funders internationally and one of the opportunities we've seen mostly i think it's us based uh, where we're able to develop a lot of meaningful partnerships from there um, through attending conferences or uh, like referrals from existing partners mm. so it's more or less understanding um, what sort of ecosystem you have and maybe how people have an interest towards advancing yeah. specific areas within the ecosystem. On a global level and definitely within the African continent, the areas of entrepreneurship, digital you know, um, spaces or even tech are areas that women are usually heavily underrepresented in. And I'm sure that sort of the same reflection is seen um, within the Malawian context. So I wanted to know, what is your business model in terms of addressing um, gender gap within that area and also really encouraging young women um, to be able to access the services and the resources um, that you have within your um, e-hub? And what has been uh, the reception of that and also the impact in terms of the gender? Mm. Okay, Um, so I think uh, in terms of gender-wise, at first we used to see a lot of interest, especially from the male counterparts, mm-hmm. because our target being young people, we had not really like we um, split to say we want maybe sixty percent of female or maybe forty percent of male. It wasn't in that context, so we used to get a lot of uh, young people, but more of the male uh, counterparts. Mm-hmm. So to at least encourage more with participation we've had to actually come up with uh, strategies on how these people can have access to some of these programs mm-hmm. yeah so we established uh, a women in bees program is um, mm. a women focused incubation program uh, only focused on supporting women uh, owned enterprises mm-hmm. Um, and with that, we've been able to actually support at least 20 uh, enterprises since 2021, which is really nice. amazing. Mm-hmm. And also with digital skills training, we actually make it an effort mm-hmm. to have like a 50-50 split on gender so that they, especially during the selection process, make sure that um, they both have the opportunity but on the same we also do a lot of um, awareness and sensitization through information sessions that encourage mm. uh, young women to, to apply in various programs that we offer mm-hmm. uh, because i feel they need more information um, access around the importance of mm. being part of these programs or participating in uh, certain initiatives that might actually benefit them in the return uh, normally, I think it's a confidence issue. Most people don't really show up, or mm-hmm. they feel like maybe this is not for me. So um, we're still basically coming up with various solutions that can support that um, uh, challenge. That's. I I think what is is the most inspirational to me, Wangiwe, is the fact that like you're not our typical like quote-unquote success story you know it's not like oh i went to the best schools i have the best grades and then i did all of these amazing jobs and now like see me where i am 
But the level of impact that you've managed to have in this five years of you running Zuzu Hub are just incredible. So for yourself and your own like edification, right? Um, because it's not like in any of this, you've told us you went to business school and then you got like an executive MBA. Like, um, what are you doing to ensure that like you continue in your role, right? Continue developing, continue growing in this role. Are you partnering with like other hubs on the continent? Because I know there's one that um, some Swedish folk have established in Rwanda. I think it's called Norisk. Um, are you are you are you kind of like in partnership with other folks in in kind of like your area of um, you know startup hubs? How are you ensuring that like you stay? as it, within your own development, um, up to date, current, so that you also don't feel like you're giving so much of yourself. Okay. Um, so yes, we are actually, um, working with several partners, um, mm -hmm. within Africa, we've had partnerships with Dream Factory Foundation. They're based in South Africa. Mm -hmm. We run an incubator program together, um, which was really great. We're also part of a network, um, the AfriLabs mm -hmm. uh, Hubs Network, where we're able to get access to learning. Um, we attend the annual conference and also engage a lot with other uh, hubs. Um, and recently we got connected to the Make IT in Africa initiative mm -hmm. and something cool next week, I'll be visiting Estonia for a learning uh, a delegation trip, but mainly just to uh, introduce us to other ecosystems and be able to learn how other ecosystems were able to advance and grow. Mm -hmm. um, so those really bring us a lot of opportunities as well because we are in new people, new connections, um, new opportunities, which is really amazing. So in terms of partnerships, we. We really work a lot. We are so open to collaboration. We are really um, excited to learn and also make sure that we're improving the way we work for us to actually have the global standard and not just, you know, the Malawian context as much as we would do. Agreed, mm -hmm. agreed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's really awesome. That's really awesome. But like, more specifically, how how are you keeping up? Are you kind of like taking additional classes? Like because I, I mean, unless you're like a natural leader, which would be which is wonderful. Listen, I, I I'm just trying to understand for myself because I know like if I don't study it, if I don't like spend like fifty thousand hours on it, I'm not great. Um, but I, I'm just wondering like how are you how are you leading this this team of sixteen and this group of eight hundred plus like you know, bilateral partnerships that you have and multilateral partnerships that you're creating. Because it just feels like, at least for me, I, I feel intimidated by hearing about it. And you're just, you know, casually talking about it. I'm like, are you taking extra classes? Like, how are we so how are we doing this, girl? Yeah, so you know how I was a part of the AWEC. It's called the African Women yeah. uh, Entrepreneurship Conference. But right after that, I was also a part of... Um, the African Visionary Fellowship Program that is run by Single Family Foundation. It's a two-year fellowship program. I'll be graduating out of that um, in July, which is really cool. Nice. So I joined the Miller Center Accelerator Program under Santa Clara University, and we're working a lot towards um, improving my leadership, but also the organizational mm -hmm. investment readiness aspect. Yeah. Then on the like 
I also do school. Of course, it's slow, but yeah, I'm 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 still in business school, studying business administration. Love it, which is really crazy. But yeah, I try to make sure that I have enhanced capacity that is helping me improve my leadership, um, but also the organizational capacity. So. It's intense. Yeah. Um, one key thing, actually, I'm willing to manage a lot is work and life balance, but we're getting Okay. I mean, and honestly, like I said, like for me, like hearing your story, hearing how you're actually like managing and juggling and getting into these programs that are super, super selective, I want to make sure that like our audience understands what she's indicating as like fellowships. They're extremely selective mm-hmm. programs. And for you to have gotten into multiple of them, even your trip to Estonia, like, these are all laudable things that you've done. Like, I really hope that you do stop and acknowledge the fact that, like, you have done what a lot of young African women are unable to do just by sheer force, not even opportunity, just like sheer force yeah. of will. I think it, it, it cannot be overstated, like, how incredible, like, what you've just described to us is. Um, I know, Patience, you wanted to, to throw in a question there with regards to her work-life balance. I think it's a yeah, great segue. Absolutely. Um- <laughs> I mean, you have been such a phenomenal woman to to talk to and to get to know on a much more sort of deeper level and to truly understand what fuel your passion and your commitment. And, you know, as an entrepreneur yourself, you wear many different hats. So you're always running, trying to problem solve, troubleshoot, figure out what when the next where the next grid is gonna be coming from. How do we sit down, put these proposals together? How do we recruit all these amazing young people to receive our services? So on and so forth, right? Building multiple partnerships at different levels. That can get a lot. Which means, you know, I'm sure you experience burnout, you know, throughout um, sort of your day to day, you know, working modality and experiences. Can you let us know how do you incorporate self care? Um, within all of these moving pieces that you have going on? How do you make some time out for yourself and really prioritize your own personal needs? And are you into, you know, the soft life? Because me and Binja, you know, we are professional soft life girls. And so we want to help you incorporate the soft life into, you know, into your self-care routine as well. Well, I think the first thing recently that I'm really excited about is I have a a team of managers now um, that I'm able to delegate most of my tasks to so that at least my work is strictly focused on maybe specific things. Mm. Um, It was very difficult before in terms of really delegating some of these tasks because there were fewer managers, but now we have yeah. which is a good thing so I'm able to act. Mm. if it's resource mobilization I'm able to hand it over to one person yeah. and um, so, um, then the rest of the team also supports then the other thing I think I've learned is to also learn to say no mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. at, at times you always want to take so much but yeah it then results in you not being more productive as you would have been because there's too much. Yeah. So I've really learned to say no um, because sometimes I do a lot of consulting work as well outside of what I do mm-hmm. here. But where I'm not here, mm-hmm. it's just a no. I know money is good, but sometimes you're more important. Then Absolutely. I, I also take breaks. Um, maybe 
sometimes it's not difficult to get a full holiday but i take maybe two days off in a week or sometimes the whole mm. just to um, stay off work and and, and uh, relax yeah um but also because i recently i have a one-year-old baby so oh my god <laughs> oh. like i have to make a lot of time to spend with my son as well so yeah yeah it's something that i've really learned to oh. manage to make sure that where i need to knock off at five i must knock off at because mm. i'm going to right care of my child so yeah like there's so many things uh, so many ways but i'm also still learning in terms of how i can manage my life and my work mm. balance to make sure that i'm still productive but also my health and well-being is uh, proper i also most of the time change um talking to someone a lot so like right now i have a leadership coach who's uh, her name one she's based in the us but she's there for me every week every wednesday until august she's just there to listen to me ranting and sharing with her what i'm experiencing and it helps that that is honestly so helpful yeah that is really really good Honestly, I feel like we undervalue the benefits of of just having a listening ear that is not coming from a judgmental perspective that doesn't even know you personally so that they can be like, no, this is from your childhood. Like they can pick and choose or they can say, no, you're wrong. Like, I love that so much for you. You're one of the only entrepreneurs that we've talked to who has this in place. And I really wish that all of us as African female entrepreneurs had that. I, I, I'm, I'm just... Oh, that's gold. That's literally gold. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Thank you. So where are you seeing Mzuzu Hub? And this is my last question. Like I told you, we're not going to be like a (laughs) African church. This is my last question. Um, Where do you see Mzuzu Hub in the next five years? Because you guys celebrated your five-year anniversary, which is a huge milestone. Um, Not only are you bringing in, you know, this digital world into areas where, God, maybe just a mobile phone came in the other day um, and you're really trying to bring in the digital world um, and, and quicken that pace in your country. Where, where do you see your team going for the next um, five years? Ah, so I will probably speak lesser on that because, uh, you know, five years requires a strategy and I think we're still working on that. But I think something really exciting that um, we look forward to is to scale our programs to other districts and, and even our, our physical presence mm-hmm. in other districts across Malawi mm-hmm. um, because there's really a need um, of, of really having a space where people can, especially young people can come and have access to these digital skills and also it's can engage fellow entrepreneurs. And our presence only in um, the North is not really something that we want to remain like that. So we're hoping to scale to other three districts um, mm-hmm. in the next two years. So I'll break it down because it's, it's not in, in, in the next two years, we're hoping to go to three other districts. Yeah. Um, then we also have a new project development that we'll probably be focusing on in the next three years. Uh, mainly 
for our like uh, office space that we want to actually construct. Uh, we've been using space so far, so we are looking forward to actually moving to a new space. And then at the same time, we also basically want to like uh, have a scale in the context of our programs, um, not just basically Malawi, but basically build meaningful partnerships that can even take us across uh, either East Africa or um, Southern Africa, which would be really amazing uh, to think of. And most importantly, we also want to make sure the organization attends um, better investment readiness in the course of the next one year. So we're able to actually uh, bring in tangible invest investors that can actually speak Come on, come <laughs> Big, on. Because, you know, Malawi needs to get good money, not uh, always thinking of uh, little, little investments that come in. So, yeah, uh, that's those are like, the priority areas yeah. that we are looking forward to. Um, and, yeah, but I'm sure mm. with uh, the strategy that we'll come up with, it's probably going to have more. Mm-hmm. But we also don't want to ambitious where we've learned lessons and now we're yeah. going to do things better in the next five years come on love that oh love that Absolutely. for you i can't wait for yeah. us to check in in the next ah. two years and when we're coming to visit you in, in malawi we go to zuzu my guy we are now district hopping district hopping and seeing where all of these hubs have popped up that's awesome for real. Oh my gosh. It's so amazing. Just taking the time to truly get to know you, to share, to give you the opportunity to share your story with our global listeners. I'm sure they're going to be just as inspired as we are. Um, and there's so many jams through our conversation that, you know, people would definitely be able to, you know, resonate with, uh, definitely the journey to entrepreneurship. is not an easy one. Um, there's a lot of failure along the way, but there's a lot of key, you know, key moments of success and positivity that continues to reassure you that you're you're on the right path and you're doing the right thing, right? Um, at a series of and we like to sort of wrap and close out our show by asking this sort of pivotal question, right? So all of our dynamic guests, and the question is: So, what inspires you about African women, like what gets you excited when you think about African women and where we're headed? Like what inspires you about African women? Okay, um, I think what inspires me is the the resilience, um, the fact that they're really visionary and um, they're really great also problem solvers, especially the entrepreneurs that I've been actually looking up to, uh, that I've read about. I mean, you look at some maybe uh, developing a certain solution that is supporting millions of people mm-hmm. across Africa. I mean, it's, it's, it's just really amazing how there's so many problem solvers, there's so many people who are visionary and, and they think bigger and, and uh, they're actually working towards supporting the continent. Um, um, a space that people can invest in, a space that people can be thinking of, oh, um, the livelihoods um, and, 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 and the people's lives are transforming and becoming better. There's digitalization and transformation. 
which is really cool. So it's something that really inspires yeah. me, and I look up to so many um, African women um, that are amazing mm-hmm. work, and I really hope that they keep up that good work. Um, the, the young women, the young girls that are coming up need role models and we need more of that uh, out there. I, I absolutely love that. Love that, love that, love that. Guys, I mean, nobody uh, needs to ask us where the African women are, okay? Every time people are like, listen, binge your patients, where are the African women? You keep talking about mm-hmm. the fact that, oh, they're African women, they're boss ladies, but where are they? The African women are here. They have never, ever left. And as as a series of ands, women like Wangiwe are the standard. You understand? Mm. This is the bar. Excellence is just the beginning. So I understand that, you know, you have women you're looking up to, but Wangiwe, your story has been so inspirational to us. Your take on what failure is and how you've approached it moving forward in all your endeavors has been incredibly inspirational to us. So once again, we want to just thank you so much for taking the time to come on. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. You know, we've added some show notes below for our differently abled audiences to enjoy. And if there was anything you missed, you can find them in the description box below. So there you have it. Another African woman showing us that we're all a series of ands. So go on and be all you can be. Bye. 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 Thanks, Brenda. Thanks, Patience.